Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. Joining me on the podcast is Nigel Vaz, CEO of Publicis Sapient, which works with some of the largest financial institutions like Goldman Sachs and Bank of America to help them digitally transform. He's also the author of a new book on the ins and outs of digital business transformation. He joins me on the podcast to shed some light on how banks and established financial firms can successfully move into the digital future. Hi, I'm Nigel Baz. I am CEO of Publicist Sapient and author of Digital Business Transformation, How Established Companies Sustain Competitive Advantage from Now to Next. Publicist Sapient, for those of you who don't know us, uh, is been in the business of helping companies digitally transform for almost 30 years. We work with some of the world's uh, biggest companies across industries from McDonald's to Goldman Sachs and Bank of America. Uh, to um, Marriott in, in, in the hospitality industry. So across a number of different uh, companies in a number of different sectors. And our primary focus is to bring the power of digital to help these businesses continue to transform. As much as technology is the agent of digital change, it's actually the consumer that's leading the transformation. In financial services, the role of the bank is changing in a world where you don't ever need to step inside a physical branch. And it's the consumer behavior that matters. You know, I think if you think about any industry, um, no matter what the industry is, there's a set of fundamental forces that are working uh, on that industry, on that business. Uh, and, you know, they start with the customer, right? So every single customer uh, in every single industry um, is going through a rapid evolution of their own behaviors. So if you think about financial services specifically in the context of this force, you know, think about the fact that almost every product in this industry is not a physical product. So you start to ask yourself the question around what is the role of a physical bank? What do I go to that bank for? Versus how do I engage with the services provided by this bank, most of which are digital? Right. Accelerated by the pandemic, of course, we've seen this change in consumer behavior, you know, rapidly evolve, even in industries where products are physical. So in the case of financial services, I think consumer behavior is changing at a rapid rate um, because people are thinking about their everyday needs um, uh, in, in the context of buying uh, stocks, sending their kid to college, all of these things, um, getting a checking account or savings account, all of these things can be done digitally. So you've got consumer behavior, then you've got technological change. So technological change was one of the factors of change, but it was also one of the limiting factors for a while in terms of what was possible. So when you think about uh, the introduction of ATM machines and being able to get money out of a wall, that was kind of a big shift. Now, Folks are asking the question, well, do I need to go into a bank to open a bank account or can I do that myself? And the technology is making it possible for you to be authenticated, to be validated, to be able to move money in an instant, to be able to sign up to a product or a service uh, in the context of financial services with almost any institution digitally. So that's the second force. The third is, of course, all of these forces are driven by new business models. So a confluence of consumer behavior and new business models means that some of the world's most largest and most established diversified financial services providers are seeing their business get cannibalized by specialist providers 
some of whom who've grown significantly, um, focusing on a particular customer journey. Like how do I move money internationally from one country to the other? And then you have a specific digital service that emerges to cater to these niche. And all of that takes away from the value of these big diversified financial services providers. So, and then lastly, and I think most importantly, whether they're financial institutions, banks, so much of what they have to do is actually understand the kind of environmental social context in place and bank the unbanked and bring uh, so many more people into the ecosystem of ancillary services like getting insured, um, whether it's in the context of um, you know, uh, having access to financial products like investing. And as you start to see all of these forces come together, banks are getting to grip with changing consumer behavior, societal norms and pressures, needing them to include and be far more engaged with the entire community that they serve, not segments of the community. I really appreciate those, those examples. Um, perspective, is it possible for incumbent financial services firms to become digital at their core? And you know, given the, the regulation and, and the legacy technology that they have to, to manage, is it is it too big a lift? I think when you think about any financial services, uh, you know, business or any business in general, right? I think the the natural instinct is to basically say because you are powerful in a particular medium uh, or in a particular context, um, it's going to be hard for you to change. And and that's definitely you know that's definitely true, right? Because these businesses have built themselves very large economic moats, as Warren Buffett liked to call it, in order to protect market share, profits, et cetera, which meant that they actually used to work a certain way and, and they scaled that way of working to allow them to gain scale and size. And a lot of the digital behaviors that they need to embody in order to first serve their customers, create products, services, is about changing the way you think and operate as an organization. So, so much sometimes gets reduced to technology, but technology is only one component of it. So much is about how you make that shift. So from my perspective, I'm a firm believer and every organization can absolutely become digital at its core, but it starts by the recognition that transforming yourself from a digital perspective isn't about the technology, but it's about reimagining your business in the context of a world that is entirely digital. And so the way I like to kind of frame this is almost in, in a balance sheet terms, looking at everything in your business that is an asset and everything in your business that is a liability that is stopping you from moving towards that new future. So starting to really say, how can you actually make sure you address all of the liabilities, the things that are holding you back, be those things like culture, technology capability, your focus on your customer's experience, and then things that are assets, which might be financial capital uh, in, in terms of the ability to invest. It might be global scale. It might be your existing customer data. Very recently talking to uh, the CEOs of one of our clients, um, which is one of the largest media companies in the world and has morphed to being a digital business. Um, 
and and is now doing extraordinarily well and has added billions of dollars in uh, in in market valuation uh, to the company. And he always asks the question: Is this decision X or decision Y going to make us an old media company or a new media company? And I think that's an incredibly powerful frame because if you are going to take on the giants of uh, you know the, the the kind of new media world of Netflix and Amazon Prime, which are digital at their core, you're going to have to fundamentally make a decision to to be a digital organization at your core. In Nigel's book, Digital Business Transformation, the role of culture in crossing the divide into becoming digital is super important. You have to set the right goals that define the culture of a soon-to-be digital organization. That's a really good area to explore because I think when you start to think about culture, right, what is culture fundamentally? Culture fundamentally is about a set of beliefs and then a set of behaviors which constantly reinforce those beliefs. And in firms that are successfully transforming, you have the ability for those beliefs and those behaviors to permeate every part of the organization. So if I was to just take you know, an example of a very large, um, you know, retail um, bank that we are, um, that, we, that we have been working with, right? The first thing that, you know, they did is it's very easy to get lost in the weeds of all of the things that you, uh, that you need to, to, to build in terms of capability, the choices offered to you, potentially the personal agendas, right? So the first thing and, and, you know, the most important thing is to kind of set yourself some real clear goals. And, and the biggest goal in this organization was creating an organization that can continually change at pace with the changes around it. So you're not bounding yourself by, I need to get from A to B. What you're saying is I need to build a bank that can continually change at pace with all of the changes around us, going back to those forces we talked about. Then you know, constructing the capability to identify and realize value both for our customers and our business in the context of those. Once goals are set, they need to permeate all levels of the organization. Digital transformation can't be set or accomplished by a single person. The core team is critical. So I think once you actually set those two things uh, as kind of grounding you know, we, we, you know, you know, big, hairy, audacious goals as it were, you know, BHAGs, right, as we call them. Then another obvious thing that you start to see very quickly is getting alignment of your team around that shared vision, because no single person can drive transformation alone. It doesn't matter with the CEO or the chairman of the board. That core team is critical because ultimately these are the leaders that the broad organization is going to look to for direction and kind of guidance, and and they're going to drive the prioritization. Right. The next is getting buy-in from all of the other stakeholders uh, in the mix, whether that's your customers, whether that's your partners, uh, whether that's actually other members of um, the organization outside of the particular area, perhaps where this transformation is, is kind of evolving. We then talked about, you know, um, culture specifically in the context of behaviors. And so this is being clear in what these shared outcomes are and what the shared 
behaviors are that will allow you to get to those outcomes. So being really clear on these are the outcomes we're focused on and these are the behaviors we believe that will yield those outcomes. Being very quick to identify and communicate all of the quick wins because change is of course really hard, right? So for a lot of people, it's gonna raise doubts, insecurities on the ability to kind of traverse the, the journey. So as soon as you can start demonstrating quick wins and start to communicate them, um, they become an important signal of progress because that progress will then engender other people who are trying to achieve quick wins of, of their own. Moving fast, this is another really critical one, right? So often strategy is framed in most organizations as an entire in business school as, you know, the art of knowing where to play and how to win, right? And in those where to play, how to win choices get framed in a, in a plan that's set in the context of a few years. And the reality of the environment that we're operating in today is it needs you to move fast and pivot very, very quickly. So rather than actually just baking in a big plan that is rigid, you can have a direction that you're trying to traverse in, but constantly iterate as you move fast in order to start to navigate the, the right choices. With the rise of API banking, firms are creating partner ecosystems that enable all parties to do what they do best. It's a new paradigm. I asked Nigel about how partner ecosystems are playing out in finance. I think when you use the word digital in general, right, I think the immediate thought for anybody who's a digital native is exactly, as you said, one of an ecosystem, right? So much of the orientation of any kind of digital journey is a series of kind of ecosystems, because as the rate of change has increased around us, it's impossible for any one company to hold all the capabilities that it needs to innovate solutions, right? And, and when I just think about Publisa Sapien, our own, you know, journey of helping companies transform involves so many of our partners like Adobe and Google and Microsoft and Salesforce. Um, and that's just our kind of immediate ecosystem. But so many of these companies are part of our clients' ecosystems. And, and, these might be the obvious technology partners in the ecosystems, but then there's lots of, you know, very specific subject matter or functional area focused um, ecosystem. So as, as companies start to think about this, I think this most important thing to ask yourself is what is the core business that I am in? What is it that I uniquely as an organization or we uniquely as an organization bring? And then how do we partner with people to either accelerate what we're trying to do um, without trying to diversify into, uh, into a fundamentally different business, right? And I think that's the top choice because there are some things that you have to evolve for yourself, but there's lots of other things that your partners will, will bring to you. And, and so the, the, the frame, you know, I guess to use at least in the way that, you know, we think about this is, which of these ecosystems and partners are going to help you accelerate your transformation, deliver new products and services, create new markets without actually in any way uh, hindering you from still maintaining what is core to your business in, in this new world? Nigel has a lot of experience creating financial ecosystems. Publicis Sapien collaborated on the Anglo Gulf Trade Bank, the first digital trade finance bank. We helped launch one of the, uh, you know, one of the 
first digital trade finance banks. Now, if you know anything about trade finance, you know it's a, an extraordinarily complex uh, you know, ecosystem. Uh, and this, the purpose of this trade finance bank was to fundamentally help the flow of capital to audiences that needed it in order to stimulate uh, parts of the economy uh, in uh, in the Middle East. So this uh, this particular bank is called um, Anglo Gulf Trade Bank. And you know, in in order to build this bank from the kind of from scratch and enable it to adapt to a future consumer and market shift, what we needed to do is build a technology architecture and a business model that would fundamentally needed to be agile so that every aspect of trade finance could be captured digitally as opposed to, you know, with hundreds and hundreds of pieces of paper, which is how trade finance typically operates today. And so what we did is said, how can we bring all of our expertise around trade finance, around um, the set of speed capabilities that, you know, we as Publis Sasabian talk about as key ingredients for digital transformation around, you know, strategy and product and experience and engineering and data and AI, but then also bring together a consortium of partners. In this case, it was Microsoft, um, whose technology, uh, you know, um, powered uh, the cloud. So leveraging their Azure cloud environment, you know, for cybersecurity and infrastructure uh, in order to meet the high security and performance requires, uh, requirements this bank had. And then somebody like Mambu, who uh, is a cloud-native core banking solution to, annoy, uh, to enable the rapid deployment of the banking services along with seamless integration. So you bring these, these companies together in order to create a fundamentally new business that is shifting an entire industry away from how it used to work. Um, and it would never have been possible unless all of these entities kind of came together. Our client... Anglo Gulf Trade Bank itself, uh, and then our partners in, in Microsoft and Mambu in this instance. And so collaboration, cross-functional understanding, and, uh, and, and ensuring these interdependence streams could work together um, ultimately allowed us to create this world's first uh, you know, trade finance bank that is entirely digital. Nigel points to Netflix and Amazon Prime as examples of user experiences banks have to contend with. Setting the bar for what passes as a modern experience, these firms are also some of the strongest brands in the world. There's a connection here between brand and experience. We started talking about this um, a long time ago and, uh, and you know, used this phrase, the brand is the experience and the experience is the brand. So when you think about most financial services institutions, right, they have huge amounts of trust with customers. And this huge amount of trust is based on effectively being stewards of their customers' wealth and, and finances for years and years and years. But I think there's been a fundamental shift happening in, in behavior and human behavior over the last couple of decades. And we see it increasingly uh, more, which is while I do trust my financial services provider in terms of protecting my financial assets, more and more, I'm also starting to value convenience in terms of being able to do things. And if I'm not offered that convenience to do things, what I will do is trust that my financial services provider will hold perhaps all of my wealth and my assets. But the minute I want to transact or do something with that, I will 
find a niche provider that offers me the convenience of the experience to make things easy. So I'll give you a specific example. You know, we're working with a, a very large retail bank, um, which had you know offices around the world. And what we were starting to see is that the way in which the experience was designed for their customers to move their money between the same bank in one country and another was being disrupted by the convenience of the experience offered by niche providers like a transfer wise. So people would take money out of one branch in New York, move it into a transfer wise, then use transfer wise to move that money to Hong Kong. And then, and then basically put that money from transfer wise back into the bank account uh, in Hong Kong. Now, if you imagine the implication of this experience uh, from the perspective of the customer, it's clearly clunky, right? Because they trust the, their bank, but they're using this ancillary service because of the experience and the convenience of moving money. And then you you actually look at the um, you, you look at the entity itself, um, the, the bank or client, and you'd say, well, if that keeps happening, you know, they'll maintain the trust in the brand but they will very quickly become a giant safety deposit box for where I go and store wealth. But the minute I need to actually do something with it, I'm going to use lots of other products and services. So for me, when I think about the experience and I think almost every financial services provider has to shift to is from this orientation of, we have a set of products that we want to sell um, and market, put yourself and enable you know, the customer that you're trying to serve, enable their journey. So you know, don't sell me a savings account. Help me get my kid to college. Don't sell me a mortgage. Help me buy a home. And figure out your role in the context of my experience and my journey. So put yourself in the context of my journey. And then I think you start to see a really big shift where you start to ask the fundamental questions about why does somebody need to go into a bank to get a bank account? Why does somebody need a piece of plastic given by the bank to get money out of an ATM machine in, in the street? Why does somebody you know, um, uh, need to go through a 10-day process to get a mortgage? And the minute you actually start to think about that dynamic, I think you start to really quickly uh, I think, you know, really, really quickly um, see experiences shifting uh, in, in the way that I think modern consumers will expect and that will future position the trust that so many of these institutions have built in a way that makes them continue to be relevant on an ongoing basis. Digital business transformation isn't easy. It requires creating something that didn't exist before. Nigel leaves us with a powerful symbol for the type of organization that undergoes digital business transformation. If you think about the, the kind of the notion of a griffin, right? The first, uh, the, the primary premise of the griffin was really about the fact that it was about combining something that didn't exist, uh, i.e. something that is essentially a, a hybrid, right? So the main core to the success of any quote unquote, Griffin organization is the focus on making sure you're clear about what your core is and how you combine your core with capabilities that you don't essentially have in order to ultimately service the customer. So in the context of, you know, something like financial services, it starts to say that rather than taking one product and this product oriented approach I was talking about and mass 
driving it to lots of people, you create lots and lots of personalized experiences. Starting to think about how people might consider switching a bank, buying a house, getting married, changing jobs, and thinking about all of these things uh, in order to create a holistic view of not only your current customers for what they are currently, but also for how they could have and become potential customers of things that you offer that they don't buy today or things that you might offer in the future. So for, for me, a Griffin organization and financial services is somebody that embraces an outside-in approach, right? Which ultimately allows you to break free from the kind of constraints that you have. This idea of customer obsession. So being fundamentally obsessed about not only thinking about how you build your business, but thinking about your primary focus, which is enabling the lives of your customers to be more fulfilled in, in all of these things we've talked about. And then finally, a willingness to uh, disrupt yourself and, and win by, by failing. So being really thoughtful about saying, what are the capabilities I need? Uh, and, and how do I actually start to put this into practice through doing as opposed to through imagining, uh, you know, um, that I, I might do something in the future and planning for it and laying the groundwork only to find that all of those plans are invalidated because um, the customer behavior or the competitive landscape has, has kind of moved. So for me, a big part of the Griffin organization is how do you leverage everything that you have in terms of your core assets and strengths as a brand and as a business, uh, but then combine it with what is shown to be increasingly successful in a world that is, you know, extraordinarily digital. And if I had to give you the ingredients of these Griffin organizations, um, I, I talk about those speed capabilities that I mentioned earlier, but speed to us is a set of capabilities that we believe all organizations who are going to be successful in a digital world need to embody. Um, so first being really clear on the strategy and on the value pools, the strategy unlocks. The, the, the next, the P is, is having a very clear orientation of a product mindset. So not a mindset around uh, projects where projects begin and end, but a product almost in the way that a, a software product evolves. It's constantly being iterated upon. The E is experience. So really thinking about the customer journey and the customer experience is the central focal point for what you are trying to orchestrate and organize your business around. The next E is engineering, which is ultimately a very, very powerful way of being able to bring a lot of these solutions to life. And then finally, data and AI. So being extraordinarily focused on the data and the insights you get from every interaction with your customers and starting to bring these five capabilities together allows you to leverage the strengths that you have, but also accelerate uh, in order to start to make a real difference uh, as an organization, which is, uh, which is the, the, the kind of primary construct of, of a Griffin. Uh, it's you know something that has strengths from multiple different areas and you know that that they can bring together in order to create an outcome that is entirely differentiated.